Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome back to the first episode of Behind the Lines of 2024. Before we get started, I want to thank all of the now thousands of regular listeners to this podcast for supporting our little efforts, and I hope you'll continue doing so. Please give us good reviews. Please spread the word. That makes a huge difference. I've got some interesting plans for this year, but you'll be hearing about those as they unfold. For now, let's get into this episode. I mean, I think the end of the war will come in Moscow. I think it won't come on the battlefield. Um, and there's an election, in inverted commas, in, in Russia this year. I mean, Putin will, will be re-elected again, in inverted commas, in March. Um, but, what you know, one takeaway from last year, from 2023, was that the, 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 the rebellion by Yevgeny Pogorzhin, um exposed the fact that the, the Russian state for all of its, its, its pomp and its swagger and its arrogance, um, the foundations are weaker than you might think. People like to say this will be a crucial year when they're trying to sound interesting, but I think in the context of the war in Ukraine, 2024 is going to be really important. Undoubtedly, the Ukrainians have got a bit stuck in their attempts to unseat the Russians from the Donbass territory, but they've also made quite a lot of progress in Crimea. But looming over all of this are political events in the United States. The prospect of a Trump presidency and the current unwillingness of Republicans to support Ukraine hangs over that country's war effort and leads to the inevitable question of whether the Europeans can step up. Guardian Russia expert and foreign correspondent Luke Harding has been reporting from Ukraine more or less since the start of the war. 
So he joined me to talk about 2023 and the prospects for the coming year. Here's my interview with Luke. Luke, you've spent a lot of uh, 2023 in and out of Ukraine covering the ups and downs of that war. And as we're now in the first week of 2024, there is a rather somber feeling among those who look at this war uh, and a sense that perhaps Ukraine is gradually losing the support it needs to uh, continue pushing the Russians back. So what are your reflections at this sort of important point um, in the conflict? Yeah, I mean, that that's the big question for 2024. Where, where is this war going? Um, is Ukraine slowly, steadily losing is is russia winning um i i think i think we have to acknowledge reality and i think at the same time we should not let ourselves be in a terrible kind of doom loop and 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 the strange thing is that as you say i've spent a lot of time in ukraine i've been i've been pretty solidly um in the country since since a few months before the full-scale invasion uh in in february of 2022 it's true that uh the ukrainian land offensive last summer um where where I mean, I was there. We had high hopes. I, I was yeah. thinking that I could be in Melitopol, in Tokmak, um, may, maybe even in the Sea of Azov, that, that, that the Ukrainians would kind of punch through Russian defences and, and liberate huge swathes of territory in the same way they did in the autumn of 2022 in in, in Oblast in the south and, and um, Kharkiv Oblast in the northeast. And that, that didn't happen. And inevitably, um, there is frustration about that. Uh, there is a degree of tension perhaps between the Zelensky government and, and Ukraine's Western partners. Uh, there is what I can tell you is very definitely a mood of, of fatigue and exhaustion. I mean, everybody is tired. All of the Ukrainians I know are, are, are you know, they've just kind of had enough. It, it's been remorseless. We, we've seen uh, a massive uptick in, in, in bombing by Russia of Ukrainian cities um, over the new year period, Kiev, Kharkiv, Zaporizhia, Dnipro, and so on. Yeah, um, and it, it's just really, it, it's really hard um, to keep going. But at the same time, there is no alternative for Ukraine. It has to keep fighting. Uh, I was in the front line recently in December um, outside Avdiivka, and, and my sense was from talking to commanders and talking to troops that actually morale is is pretty good. I don't think Ukrainian morale is 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 lower than it was. Uh, there's yeah. still a belief in victory, um, e- even though it seems. Uh, unlikely that victory is <clears throat> going to come anytime soon um and everything depends really on on what ukraine gets from from the west over the next 6 12 18 months yeah let's let's go back at, to that summer offensive or you know some call it the counter offensive that in a way so much store was set on that there were you know sort of bbc tv programs hosted by um, Stacey Dooley showing the guys training on Salisbury Plain. There was talk about tanks and, and, and other weapons that had been provided and the idea that the Ukrainians would be able to fight a NATO-style um, campaign. Uh, and yet, when you zoom the map out and look at the, the actual advances made on the ground, they really are quite limited. So wh- what's your best understanding now of why the expectations were so different to what actually happened? I, I mean, I think it was partly because of the success uh, of of Ukrainian counteroffensives in in late 2022, um, where, where actually the Russians 
uh, they abandoned Cherson in the end, uh, and yeah. and they were they were caught on the hop in in Kharkiv Oblast, and they lost key cities like Izum, like Kupinsk, um, with, with Ukrainian forces sort of sweeping forward. And and the problem is that that essentially the Russian military regrouped, and because this offensive was so well signaled, we we all knew where where the Ukrainians would try and push to try and break this land corridor connecting um, the left bank of Hezon, the Crimea, and occupied Zaporizhia with with uh, with the Donbass and with Russian Federation territory. Um, that that Russia just had a, had had chance to mine everything. And the other problem I think is is which affects both sides is just the nature of war. I mean yeah. I've seen it. I've stood in these trenches. Um, and on one level, <clears throat> visually it looks like the First World War. There is mud, uh, there are shells um, there are explosions and booms, um, artillery, outgoing, incoming whistles. There are rats, actually, and mice. I mean, it was a landscape—it's a sort of landscape of, of bear trees and and winter ice that that, that yeah. Wilfred Owen would recognise. But yeah. on the other hand, what what Wilfred Owen wouldn't recognise are drones. Yeah. Both sides are using huge numbers of drones, and these these FPV first-person view drones are lethal they are deadly they are relatively cheap to manufacture and it means that whenever you you send in a column of um heavy armor tanks or bmps armored personnel carriers and so on the other side can can spot that using reconnaissance drones and then send in kamikaze drones to blow it all up and and we've seen russia sustain absolutely extraordinary losses trying to seize avdivka which is on the salient just outside um Donetsk, with um, as many as 120 vehicles destroyed in the first few days. And, and this is the problem for either side trying to advance. I mean, the, the Russians, yes, you might argue that they are uh, in the ascendant at the moment, but they haven't yet had a strategic breakthrough. I mean, the last significant town they took was, was Bakhmut, which was in May of last year, and Bakhmut is a ruin. Yeah. And they've, recently, they've taken, they've, 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 they've taken Marinka, also outside the Nietzsche, but Again, Marinka is is just a pile of smoldering stones. So, so the the battlefield hasn't changed that much in, in either person's favor, and this is because of because of drones. And so, I think a breakthrough for anybody for either side is going to be very hard. Yeah, and as part of that, it, it's probably worth talking a bit about the Russians. Um, it seems that two things happened that perhaps people underestimated. One was their capacity to sustain losses at a scale that you know dwarfs the Afghan war, for example, which was seen as, at the time, significant in, in the ending of the Soviet Union, but also actually that the Russians have been, and perhaps contra what a lot of Western analysts said early on, they have been a learning organization. They've adopted technologies such as drones and, and, and you know, other, other methodologies. So is, what's your take on uh, the performance of the Russian military? Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that that's interesting. I mean, you make an interesting point. I, I think a couple of things are going on here. Uh, um, certainly, in in the early stages of the invasion, uh, I, I was in Kiev in 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 February and spring of 2022. We we saw yeah. these massive lumbering um, uh, Soviet-style tank columns advancing from from Belarus through the through the forest. On, on narrow roads where it was quite easy for the other side to, to, to ambush in an attempt to storm Kiev. And, and the, the expectation was that Kiev would fall in a matter of days. Um, and 
uh, Russia were put in a new government and 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 so on. And, and of course, we know what happened that that plan didn't work and, and yeah. Russia retreated. Now, now, to a certain extent, we've seen a repeat of those tactics, certainly in Avdiivka, where, where massive you know, columns have gone in and the Ukrainians have 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 blown them up. But the problem from, from the Ukrainian point of view is that that uh, Russia has done what Ukraine has been doing, which is to move to sort of small group formation tactics where they will send in 10, 12 guys under cover of night to move forward and infiltrate Ukrainian positions. And generally, the, 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 these soldiers are killed. I mean, I, I talk to Ukrainian commanders who say we kill them, but they keep coming. And, and the, the, the problem for Ukraine is that they, that they keep coming more and more soldiers push forward and eventually they, they find a gap. And, and they take territory. So, so certainly around Avdiivka, they've taken a couple of kilometers in the north and the south. They're trying to encircle the the city. And my my guess is that they'll be able to do that at some point this year, whether it's spring or summer or, or so on, just because Russia is prepared to lose so many troops. And I think the calculation in Moscow is that they have more of everything. Uh, they have they have more infantry. They have more armored vehicles. They have air power. They have Russia itself as a strategic base from where they can launch attacks and, and drop hypersonic missiles over Ukrainian cities. And, and that the, the, there'll be this kind of grinding, pulverizing, uh, attritional victory eventually, a, a, a bit like what Stalin did in the Second World War against Nazi Germany, that, that yeah. after initial setbacks, the, the machine moves forward. There are terrible losses, but victory is achieved. I touched on, on that context of the war in Afghanistan, where in, you know, the towards the end of the Soviet period, it mattered that ordinary Russians got fed up of seeing their young men dying in what seemed like a very pointless war. But somehow, in Putin's Russia, he can do that. And it doesn't seem to affect his, his sort of power and, and political stance. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, I mean, certainly that's true for now. Um, and Actually, the Soviet war in Afghanistan, that that discontent, I mean, it, I mean, it grew. I mean, that was a 10 year war. I think yeah. I think it began in Christmas Day in 1979. Um, yeah. And it didn't end until the late 1980s when Gorbachev pulled Soviet forces out. Um, and here we, we you know, we, we had the war in the war in Donbass and, and Russia's covert takeover of part of Donbass in 2014 and full scale war for two years. Um, uh, and I, I think I mean. One thing is is that certainly in the early stages, a lot of the guys who are fighting and dying were from ethnic republics. They were from Baratia. They were from Dagestan. Mm. They were from very poor villages. Uh, and I, I know this because I've talked to lots of Ukrainians who who met these soldiers uh, in, uh, in in uh, under occupation in places like Bucha, Irpin, Borodjanka, and so on. Um, and the people from from Moscow and St. Petersburg, I mean, that they, they were not touched. I mean, now. Obviously, the net is the net is bigger, but what what we have to acknowledge is that Russia has become a totalitarian state, where where any kind of dissent is impossible. Where where poets who've penned a few verses against the war are getting six year, seven year, eight year jail terms. Where where significant dissidents like you know Alexei Navalny or, or Vladimir Karamutsa are, are being locked up forever, yeah. and and you have to wonder if they'll ever get out. And and so. In in that in that situation, where Russia is turning more and more into a kind of giant version of North Korea, um, 
it, it's 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 easy to intimidate people. It's easy to gel them and to persecute them. Um, and uh, you know, Putin doesn't have to to worry about the kind of things that, that Zelensky has to worry about, which is that that the pool of young men willing to fight and die in this war is getting smaller. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk a bit about that. I mean, we've talked about Russia. Ukraine, as you say, the, the morale appears strong and the determination to continue what is obviously an existential fight. Um, but is there a limit to that? Because obviously one issue is that the Ukrainians are taking a lot of losses. Perhaps it's not been as widely reported, but it's definitely happening. And they have a smaller population. And of course, uh, the, these are people who are not serving in in a almost sort of prison-like conditions in, in the Ukrainian military. So is there a limit to how long Ukraine can sustain its own uh, sort of manpower? Well, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, there are questions going forward about, about how, how it how it finds enough people to 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 fight now i mean i think for now it, it, it's okay but but certainly I, i'm hearing anecdotally that there are some young young men who are living in ukrainian cities and semi-hiding that they're, they're yeah. being increasingly careful about where they go because they don't really want to be mobilized there's a discussion of, of of reducing the the age of conscription from 27 to 25 um and um uh, you, know, you know, it's it's going to be a problem just just because so many so many Ukrainian soldiers have 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 died and been killed or or very seriously injured. Um, and it, it's just it, it's just a you know, medium sized country against a very very big country, forty million people versus one hundred and forty million. Um, yeah. So, and, and I think also that that the Ukrainian commanders are are very mindful that they they. They don't do stupid stuff. They don't do these sort of zombie attacks that we, we we've seen um, in in the east of Ukraine from from Russian forces, where um, a, a a sort of Russian commander will send in twenty people, knowing they're all going to die, merely to expose a Ukrainian artillery position. Yeah, I mean the Ukrainian the Ukrainians don't do that. That they, they they are you know that they accept that people will die, but but they, they're trying to avoid that where possible. Um, so, so for now it's sustainable, and for now um, there are enough people who are willing to fight. And as I said, morale on the front line is still surprisingly quite high on the Ukrainian side. But, but if this if this war is going to run for another two, three, four, five years, then I think the level of dissatisfaction, which is already rising in Ukrainian society, will get bigger and bigger. But, but that doesn't mean that does not translate into pressure for Zelensky to capitulate or to sign some deal with Putin uh, or, or to give up because nobody believes that any agreement with Russia would, would last more than five minutes, that, that essentially any, any, any peace deal, as some in, in the US um, and a few other capitals, you know, Washington, a few other capitals are suggesting, that, that it would actually be a peace deal or bring about any kind of peace. I mean, Putin believes he can win. He, he, his strategy is to uh, wait for for populist um, far right governments to to take power in Europe for the return of Donald Trump potentially um, next year as U.S. president, um, and his, his goals are as maximalist as ever. So there can be no negotiations in that context. In the market for investment worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. 
Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect time to talk a bit about that aspect to this. One of the things you've mentioned, Advika, and, I, and I, some listeners may be following this, but it, it's not widely known that it's been one of the biggest battles of this war. But because of events in the Middle East and, and a, perhaps a fatigue with Ukraine hasn't had nearly as much uh, coverage as, as some of the earlier bits of, of, of this conflict. But But that points in part to uh, this this sort of sense that perhaps some Western countries feel that you, the Ukrainians had their chance. And then, of course, that, that probably isn't at all reasonable, but that's just the way it seems to be. Uh, and in particular in, in Washington, as you mentioned. And so we've got this phenomenon where the re Republicans uh, are very reluctant to continue supporting Ukraine. And that's even without Donald Trump sort of in power. Um, but but you mentioned uh, also sort of populists across Europe, and you are an expert on Russian interference in Western politics. So do you see 2024 as being a sort of key year for Russia trying to sort of shift the dial in that in that area? I, I mean, I think that's right. <clears throat> I mean, I mean, what what we know about <clears throat> Russia is that it doesn't stop actually um and the kind of things i've been writing about in my in, in my books in, in in shadow state in collusion the book i did about donald trump uh and how russians helped him to win in, in 2016 um is 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 that there's there's a method and and obviously we, we we've seen we're seeing a hot war in ukraine we're seeing a to, to my mind what's essentially a kind of imperial um uh, or neo imperial project to to reconquer a a wayward um former colony i mean that, that that's essentially yeah what was happening in russia um but at the same time that there's been a consistent um uh, effort over the past two decades with, with with vladimir putin as president to undermine and sabotage western democracies and <clears throat> to sort of corrode them from inside and, and to exploit the openness of western societies to, to to destroy them and and that that's happened in overt ways it's happening covert ways it's happened by by co-opting people. It's happened through traditional espionage. It's <clears throat> happened through through social media campaigns to support certain candidates. Donald Trump in Russia, the Don, Don, Don Trump by Russia, yeah. Brexit as well, which was a Kremlin foreign policy objective. So I think we, we will see more of the same. I, we have to be clear when we're talking about this that that Russia is is not a it's not a not a not a genius when it, when it comes to espionage and subversion, but but is opportunistic. So you try stuff. If it doesn't work, you try something else. So <clears throat> I can say for, for a certainty that Russia will do everything it can to promote Donald Trump and to um, 
uh, chop the legs off Joe Biden to, to portray him as as weak, senile, um, ridiculous, pathetic, um, incapable, and so on. And <clears throat> what what I think is quite alarming is that Russian propaganda and uh, the sort of isolationist pro-Trump wing of the of the Republican Party that they converge. There's a symbiosis yeah. there that you get things said in Moscow, which are then repeated by Tucker Carlson, by by conspiracy theorists, um, by, by, by Fox News to some extent. Um, and, and there's almost a kind of conversation that goes on. And it's not grounded in reality or, or fact or um, uh, it doesn't bear any resemblance to what I see, what I report in Ukraine. But clearly it, it's it's it can be quite potent. Um, I, I, I don't I don't know whether Trump's going to win or not. Um, some commentators, since I was reading Ed Luce in the Financial Times, is predicting that that he will narrowly lose and that Biden will will return. Others thinking that 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 Biden will win the popular vote but lose the Electoral College, which means we have Trump again, um, mm. and means that that military assistance to Ukraine will cease immediately. But there will definitely be one vector will be the U.S., but but another will be Europe, <clears throat> um, and an attempt to to push. Um, uh, you know, populist parties, and, and th 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 there's been you know indicators in both directions. I mean, in Poland, we we have Donald Tusk uh, as 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 prime minister, who's been a huge supporter of Ukraine, yeah, um, and a retreat from from what you might call kind of hard right populism uh, in Poland. But on the other hand, in places like Slovakia and in, in Holland, you you have a, a vote going in the other direction. I mean, I think in the UK, it's pretty clear to everybody that Keir Starmer is going to win. Um, I mean, I've been thinking increasingly about about labor in Ukraine. I mean, labor will certainly support Ukraine. It's not a it's not a party political issue no. here. But the question is, will they step up? Actually, will they will they will they do more than the Tories have done? I think they should. I'm not clear they will. Yeah. And I think in a way that's that's a key question about Europe, isn't it? Because um, even with, uh, let's say, the 2024 unfolds more or less as 2023 has in terms of US politics, and it's very um, febrile and, and, and the margins are narrow. But even with that, as, as we both know, the US support to Ukraine has dipped off, and that's partly because Republicans in Congress are able to block it. So Europe has to be considerably uh, more ambitious. And, and the big question is whether Europe can do that. What, what's your view? Well, again, we have to see, but I think we shouldn't we shouldn't be doom loopish about it. I mean, the international coalition is quite strong. A lot of countries are um, still supporting, donating. There's the, the training of pilots. There's the provision of F-16s. We'll see F-16s operating um, in, in, in Ukraine this year. Um, Zelensky was recently and had a summit with... Um, Nordic countries, which yeah. wasn't much kind of reported, but but it got big pledges of assistance. So, uh, and the UK is 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 backfilling with 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 missiles and so on. So, so th there is some stuff going on. Uh, the 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 problem is that Russia has completely shifted to a war economy. It's it's making shells in in factories um, on sort of triple shifts. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Putin is quite kind of comfortable with that. And you have it's been interesting watching Radoslav Sikorsky, the, the new old um, Polish foreign minister. Yeah. Saying that Europe needs to do more and needs to to think in the medium and long term about about um, weapons production. Now, 
I haven't seen that on a huge scale. I mean, I mean, it is happening. I mean, the Germans, for example, are, are um, uh, uh, have become a kind of major, major source of source of weapons for uh, for, for Ukraine. Um, but, 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 but we, you know, the Europeans could do more. And I remember I had a I had a kind of conversation with the former head of the British Army uh, at some point last year. We had a, had a kind of cup of coffee, and I sort of said, "Well, why, why don't we give the Ukrainians more artillery shells?" And he said, "Well, we don't make any." Yeah, <laughs> that's a problem, <laughs> and that, that's a problem. I mean, here we are, one of the richest countries in the world in the G7, and it turns out we don't make artillery shells. And Rishi Sunak, I think, is not greatly interested in Ukraine or, or indeed in foreign policy generally. He's just trying to survive as prime minister. Uh, and the last <clears throat> few um, months of his misbegotten prime ministership will, will be devoted to domestic politics and his personal s- survival as a, as a kind of politician. So I, I don't see much shift there i mean i would just hope that the 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 kind of thinking political class in europe could could need to grasp that this is going to be a long war and that ukraine needs to be sustained not just this year but beyond this year yeah totally i mean interestingly on the thing about artillery shells of course europe had this big commitment um to supply ukraine and a lot of people were skeptical and said, well, can, can it meet those commitments? And there was a lot of pushback at the at the Brussels level. But I had an interesting conversation, rather as you did with that retired general, um, with Slovakian uh, experts, because at one point they were, you know, producing artillery shells on a big scale. And of course, now Slovakia is controlled by a pro-Russian populist. And so it seems to me that at the continental level, we've been far too complacent. And, you know, we, we sort of think, well, some small country in Central Europe is dealing with this, we don't need to worry about it. And, and of course, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It, it doesn't work like that. And, and yeah, I, I mean, it's perspective, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, you could sort of say that what happened in 2022, nobody was expecting the, the, the biggest war in Europe since 1945, a, a massive land war. And I, I've, I've, I've Arthur, I've, I've been to practically every part of the front line, but but stretching over 600 miles. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just huge fronts. Whenever I go, I think, well, which part of the front line will I go to? Knowing it will take me at least two days to get there yeah. because it's, it's just just so 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 enormous. I mean, this is something I'm thinking about at the moment ahead of my my forthcoming trip back to uh, back to Ukraine. But but now, to, almost two years on, you have to sort of say, well, well, we know what's going on. We we know that Russia is. Russia as a fascist state and its ambitions, I think, go well beyond U- Ukraine. Um, and Moldova definitely would be a possible target. The Baltic states uh, creating a land corridor through to Kaliningrad, smashing the poles that there were Russian propagandists on state TV recently talking about the border being close to Krakow. That's where it should be nice. in their view. Uh, and And even lots of fanciful stuff about redividing Germany etc reclaiming eastern germany as a zone of influence i mean i mean a lot of this is is hysterical and it's disinformation but but it's the churn in which people and, and uh, putin and the people around him operate yeah absolutely so um you've mentioned that this is likely to be a war that might last three four five years more um what is it that could be a real game changer for the Ukrainians. I mean, on the one hand, and you know, we have talked about setbacks and lack of progress on on, on the main front, but of course, they've managed to uh, really start to deny Crimea to the Russian Navy, uh, which is a, a hugely significant achievement. But but that probably doesn't end the war. So, uh, what's your sense of how Ukraine might be able to finish this? 
I, I mean, I think the end of the war will come in Moscow. I think it won't come on the battlefield. Um, and there, there's an election in inverted commas in, in Russia this year. I mean, Putin will will be re-elected again in inverted commas in March. Of course. Um, but what you know, one takeaway from last year, from 2023, was that the 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 the, the rebellion by Yevgeny Pogorshin, um exposed the fact that the, the Russian state for all of its it, its its pomp and its swagger and its arrogance um the, the foundations are weaker than you might think um and yeah. and yeah most people support the war or don't want to think about it the the troublemakers the dissidents that they've all left or been arrested or or that they're keeping quiet for now oligarchs keeping quiet for now but I'm not sure how, how profound the love of Vladimir Putin is. Um, and were, right. were anything to happen to him, uh, I mean, there have been all these rumors that he's dead already. Um, uh, certainly rumors that he uses doubles. I, I mean, the, the head of Ukrainian military intelligence, Kirill Badanov, told me that, that he's certain that, that Putin uses a number of doubles. I mean, that there may have been health issues that they seem to be resolved. We don't know. But I, I think... If Putin actually dies for real, emphatically, definitively, or, or is incapacitated, then um, there will be an enormous battle for power um, in 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 Russia between different groups. I mean, the FSB spy agency, the GRU military intelligence organization, the generals, uh, and the oligarchs. And in that moment of of, of weakness or, or possible weakness, there will be opportunities for Ukraine on the battlefield. So, so the problem is, so long as Putin is alive and 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 do, doing executive stuff, I don't see any yeah. end to the war. So, with that in mind, uh, if there were to be a Trump presidency, is that is that another version of the end? And it's obviously an end with Russian victory. Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, it depends to some extent whether the Europeans step up. So I, I think if Trump does come back and has a second presidency, then you know we'll, we'll have to see whether he behaves the way he's behaved previously. In other words, as a Russian asset, um, a, a, as a friend of Vladimir Putin, as a, as a wannabe dictator. I mean, certainly US military assistance to Ukraine, I think, would, would cease uh, uh, under Trump. And the question is whether the Europeans step up and what would then happen on the on, on the battlefield. Now, uh, I mean, there's certainly there'll be opportunities for Russia to go forward. The, the ambition in Moscow over the next 36 months is to take the whole of Donetsk and Luhansk um, provinces and to uh, to seize Kharkiv, it's only 40 kilometers away from the Russian border. And Dmitry Medvedev, the former Russian president, has recently been tweeting about Kiev, Odessa, Mikolaev, all being Russian cities. Now, I think, I think taking Kiev again is is actually beyond the Kremlin. Uh, really, after 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 what went wrong in twenty twenty two, but but I think I think t taking further territory in Donetsk, Luhansk, um, is is possible if the Americans um, flake out. Yeah. Um, so I guess then the final question is is around. Uh, what the West can do in terms of sort of security guarantees. It, it's seems fairly clear that with the war ongoing, the Ukrainians are not going to be able to join NATO. Some argued that that could be done, but it, but I think that that argument isn't open now. And of course, the Ukrainians want to join the EU, but that's a multi-year process. So is there something else that can be done to shore up uh, and send a message to the Russians? 
I, I think just good and consistent diplomacy. I mean, it, 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 I mentioned earlier, Radoslav Sikorsky, the, the, the new Polish foreign minister, um, yeah. to actually just be very clear what, what's at stake, that this is not Ukraine's struggle. It's not a, a uh, war between two unhappy neighbors or, um, you know, a kind of local dispute that, that <clears throat> actually it's, it's, a, it's an existential war for all of us, for, for Europeans, uh, and for the world order, because if Ukraine goes down, then that sets a precedent for for everybody, whether it's for other countries, whether it's Venezuela saying that the territory and neighboring state is Venezuelan or, or China over Taiwan or Putin rolling forward somewhere else. So so and, and it's clear that diplomacy doesn't work, that, that, that the Russian elite are in some sort of strange, surreal, fantastical space where where they are. Uh, fighting, refighting the Second World War, um, a forever war against the West, against Nazis, Banderites, and so on. Um, and and so this isn't going to go away. I mean, this is the reality of the European neighborhood. Um, and, and, and therefore, actually, it's in everybody's interest to support Ukraine. And, and I, I think we shouldn't give up. Actually, this is not just Ukraine's war. It's it's a, a war for, for, for Europe, for the European continent, for actually the future of the world order, whether big states can overall smaller states um, and, and we're in a kind of nihilistic place. We, we have to understand that Ukraine's struggle is our struggle and continue to support uh, Ukrainians this year, next year and so on. And think strategically and act morally. That's it. Luke, uh, thank you so much for joining me. I wish you very well for what will no doubt be a tough year professionally out there on the front lines in Ukraine. I hope we'll have you back again soon. That, thank you. Re really good to talk to you again. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for joining me on this first episode of Behind the Lines for 2024. Remember that you can subscribe to this podcast very easily to ensure you never miss another episode. And please don't forget to give us a good review if you liked it. Behind the Lines was produced by me, Arthur Snell, and the theme tune is by Matty Benbrook.